Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. So I'm going to be coming to you today with our Old Testament reading, which is going to be from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. But she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. And then I have the New Testament. So I have Mary's song from Luke 1, 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. I just want to say before we get started, you guys are cute. <laughs> so I, guess I had to get that out. Were any of the rest of you thinking that? I am, I am so looking forward to your guys' uh, wedding in April. Um, so uh, some of you are like, oh, they are. I'm sorry. I think I'm allowed to say that out loud, right? Okay. Sometimes you, I'm like, Ginger's not in here to correct me. So um, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Uh, Actually, uh, Ginger's not in here, but uh, today's our 29th wedding anniversary, so I'm uh, very thankful for that. Um, make sure when you see her, um, you can you give her condolences. Um, but no, it's uh, I'm, I'm very thankful. Let me pray, and then I want to talk about uh, this beautiful poem song. Lord, there's so much uh, emotion um, welling up in me. And so, Father, I don't want 
the, the, the flesh and bones that make up me to get in the way of your spirit moving. Because, Father, there's some things here we need to hear. A busy season for many. Uh, I know many of my brothers and sisters are under work deadlines, and they're really crammed true. Uh, but, Father, there's also some in this space that, and so, Father, I know that that's a noise. That's a voice that is going to be a hindrance as well. And so, Father, whether it's a spoken word or a word that your spirit whispers to our soul, Father, we need to hear it. Um, we want to hear it. Uh, and so, Father, would you um, perform that type of miracle amongst us today? Father, I thank you for the two things that Bryant even shared earlier. Father, if we could just do those two things well, I think we would be, we'd be doing all right. Um, so, Father, I pray that we don't overcomplicate our faith um, and that we follow Christ's example and love the way that he loved. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The uh, this song, Mary's song. Give me just a minute. This is, I'm not OCD, but this is kind of bothering me. This isn't squared up, and it's so. Does that mean I am OCD? Um, but it's referred to as Mary's song, but it also has another name. Do any of you know the name? The Magnificat, and it's a Latin word that means "My soul magnifies the Lord." All right. Now let me just like that could probably just be the sermon. Like, let me just put that out in front of you, dim the lights, let's sit in the reflection of the candle and just say, my soul magnifies the Lord. But the problem is, is that as powerful that is for many of us, others of us need just a little bit more words to this. Because I think many, on many occasions, what ends up happening is we hear something like the Magnificent and we sense that, okay, my soul magnifies the Lord. That was good for Mary because she got to birth baby Jesus. Well done. But that's not my story. We ended the opening set with what I feel like is a powerful but theologically hard song to live in. We said over and over again, probably 10 or more times, that he won't fail. Now, we've talked about this on a few occasions because that phrase, he won't fail, is a wonderful connection to Mary's song. But the problem is, is that on many occasions, if we totally look at it from our perspective, God does fail. Because what happens is, is he doesn't meet my expectations. So then we feel like it's a failure on God's part versus it being, well, could it possibly be that my desire wasn't what the Lord wanted in this particular situation? Or like a, a gazillion other ways that we could go with it. And that's why I want us to point out Mary's song, because Mary could have at multiple moments felt like that God came to her, asked her to be a virgin mom, teenager at that, and fight through the pressures of the first century world where women do not have the same honor that women have today. Like many of you ladies are like, yes, we've come a long ways, but we have a long ways to go. Mary would be happy with where you are. Like there was no honor given towards women in that first century unless she just happened to be in the right family. But yet Mary was going through all these struggles and birthed a song that's revolutionary 
And this is where a man, a man teaching this, because me holding my belly and acting like I'm rubbing an infant and talking about the joy of what God has birthed in me really is a bad-looking example. But to have a mom that is expectant speaking a revolutionary term or song over a group of people is powerful. Well, let me explain to you how powerful Mary's song is because the way that it's been viewed throughout human history. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is a, uh, a wonderful German theologian who actually, sorry, my, my iPad's not working with me, that lived in New York and moved back to Germany for the war so that he could help rebuild his country after the war by being one that had gone through it with his people. So he could have avoided it altogether, chose to go live there, and then died in prison four days before the war was over. Did, did God fail? You know, so he went to go and had opportunities, but this is what he says about Mary's Magnificent in, in, in a sermon during Advent in 1933. He says this, The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, and even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. That's what Bonhoeffer was saying about this. But the problem is, is that in church and with Linus and all these other people that have come along in the Christmas story, we don't understand the revolutionary tone that is found in Luke chapter 1. So let me show you the way that it has been used throughout the world. Do you guys realize that in the 1980s, the government of Guatemala banned Mary's song being posted or read in public? because the government didn't want those words out in front of the people because they were contrary to the way the government was treating people. Argentina, Chile, were other nations that banned it. The British in India banned it from public reading and public posting during colonization periods because they did not want that accountability text out in front of other people. And let me just say this, in the United States, in what have been called the slave Bibles, in what has been times where pastors would go to people of color in the South and take texts like Paul's text in Ephesians and say, slaves should love their masters, but yet avoid Mary's song altogether. It was banned from being read to slaves, but yet Dr. Raquel Litsum, who's a seminary professor at Eden Seminary, who's the first African-American New Testament doctorate graduate from Yale Theological Seminary, says this, Mary's song, Mary's slave song, shares three of the overarching themes of the previous identified in Negro spirituals, tension between one's current oppression and, and articulations of hope, the longing for freedom and justice in this life and the affirmation of one's personhood. So while people, many that look like me, were saying, no, you can't read Mary's song, The Magnificent, in public, don't post it, don't share it with people of color, people of color embraced it and used it as an outline for writing many of the songs that they used to remind themselves of hope. 
to remind themselves that even in the midst of oppression, we can find joy in the Lord. Now, the problem is, is that we have, on many occasions, always associated joy with our circumstances and not with the object of the direction that spoke to Mary saying you were going to have a baby in the first place. So if our focus is on what I expect in this life, I promise you we're going to struggle to find joy. But Mary sets a great example for you and I that you and I can find joy even in oppression, that you and I can find joy even when it looks like everything else around us has been abandoned. Mary's song speaks to the poor. It speaks to the hungry. It speaks to those without an address that we call homeless, which I've learned from my good friend Terrence Lester. Why is a home the only possession we choose to label people by if they don't have what? We don't go around saying, oh, you're the coatless or you're the you know, Toyota-less. <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm a huge Toyota fan. I only spend my money on Toyotas, but it's like, it's, it's just one of those things where why a house is worthy of identifying somebody, especially if they don't have one. But Mary's song speaks to all this. It's, it's a song of songs that speaks to the heart of God. And the thing that I want us to come back to is that when Mary is singing this song, whatever the moment that she had with Elizabeth, which last week I said she was her aunt. I don't know why I said that. It's her cousin. There was a huge age disparity, so give me a little grace. But this was her cousin much older than her, and in the process of this, whatever interaction, whatever the movement of the child in Elizabeth, that Elizabeth was like, whoa, this is different than the normal movement I feel, and an overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit causes Mary to burst out in a song in what came out of her. And I say this to my kids all the time. We need to be careful what we put into us because eventually life is going to bump you and whatever's in you is going to come out. And so if you are storing up in you fruits of this world and something bumps up against your life, it's going to be the fruits of the world that are going to come out. But if you've been storing up in you a treasure that is from the Lord, when something bumps into you, the thing that's going to come out of you, what has taken root in you, which is going to be the fruits of God's spirit in you. And the thing that I want to point out in all of this as a reminder of where we've been talking all Advent is that Mary believes. No matter what circumstances you and I might be facing, whatever comparisons to Mary's life you and I can begin to look to, whether the poverty of her upbringing, whether the trauma that she experienced in isolation as a teenage pregnant mother, the travel, the, the, the trying to learn to communicate with her husband Joseph, even after the birth of Jesus. We know that Joseph was around for a while, but at some point Joseph is no longer in the picture. So what happened to Mary's husband? So this woman can be identified as a woman that had faith in God's words that he was going to complete something that was going to be a global impact through her son, but that did not exempt her from feeling pain in this world. And so she believed, so much so that they experienced joy. And the thing that I love, just an overviewing observation, was the text that Theron read 
is very similar to the text that Mabel read, but they were spoken hundreds of years apart. The difference between Hannah and her pain and Mary and her pain, the rhythm and the correlation between those two texts shows me that Mary had been in the text. Mary knew scripture, and she, Charles Spurgeon actually put it this way, and I don't quote, quote Spurgeon very often, and so here's a good chance for those of you that love Spurgeon. Um, I don't know why I looked to my left. Um, but this shows how Mary had studied the word of God and laid it up in her heart. So just, now remember, she got bumped by an angel saying, you're going to have a virgin birth, and he's the Messiah, the one that is going to bring light into darkness. And when she got bumped, this is the song that came out of her. It doesn't say that she spent weeks writing and editing, writing and editing, writing and editing, writing and editing, and months and months and months later, she produced her first album or her first solo this is what came out of her, which shows maybe why she had favor in the first place. I love the fact that Mary doesn't sing this song in private. So can I just say this to many of you in here today? You might just need to hear from me that your faith shouldn't be private. You and I need to live our joy out in front of people. You and I need to have songs and, 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 and moments of, that are ready on our lips so much so that we don't live in fear of who hears it. We are just overwhelmed with what we know to be true about God. And can, can that be said of us? Do we walk around life singing literal or metaphorical songs of praise to our Father in heaven? Do you, do you hear Mary singing we're not, we don't really have time to redundantly read this text this week, but I hope in light of me talking about governments banning it has caused you to want to spend a little bit more time reading it this week. It's easy to jump to the part that Linus reads in a Charlie Brown movie, but not focus on why Mary sang what she's saying. But can I tell you that people that have been oppressed on the globe for decades, if not centuries, turn to Mary's inspiration to find their way through the darkest periods of time for them collectively together. There are three things that Mary shows here. She, she talks about the mightiness of God, the holiness of God, the mercy of God. There's so much of that built into this text. Another quick observation shows that Mary had this expression of joy in her heart. Verse 46 and 47, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's feeling it deep within herself. Some of you this week need to carve out time just so you can let the love of God soak into you and get deep inside your skin to where it's deep inside of you. The second thing that I notice here is that she, she is mentioning the things that God has specifically done for her individually. Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now in all generations, we will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. The third thing I see very quickly is that she spends most of her time describing the way God is in general. So if you went from verse 50 through verse 56, you're going to see Mary tell you what she sees in the character of God. So what is Mary teaching us? The first thing that I think Mary is teaching us is how do we live with joy? 
How do we live with joy is what Mary is teaching you and I here today. But I need you to remind you that this song that Mary is singing is not exempting her from a life of pain. Mary is learning through and teaching us through her story how she could keep her eyes focused on the one true God. And, and the first thing that I, I'm mentioning here is that Mary knew the scriptures. I left off the fact that she is tied to quoting Psalms 22, Psalms 44, Psalms 103. We talked about 1 Samuel chapter 2 and the parallels to Hannah. I believe deep down that Mary had taken it in as a teenager and was meditating on the scriptures that she had because she wanted to know the one true God. You cannot have a consistent life of joy in the darkness and the pain and the oppression and the disappointment and the ways in which our thinking makes us think that things should go differently. You and I will not be able to stand as strongly as we desire in joy until you and I all get disciplined at treasuring up the words that God has spoken and holding them in our heart. Mary sets a great example of that. Mary also is displaying a heart of humility. In verse 47, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's focusing on the fact that God has forgiven her. She doesn't think of herself more highly than she ought to think. She's just overwhelmed that God would pick her, a humble sinner, this young teenage girl. She's just overwhelmed by the fact that the creator, the one that made the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was speaking to her and the humility of her response, the reality that she was forgiven, that God had saved her from her sins, was so prevalent in her, and I think you and I need to refocus on that is that it's not just about what God has done, or excuse me, God will do for us, but is the, the, the length in which he has forgiven us of our sin. And Mary is a great example for us to look at. Mary's, Mary also displays an attitude of thankfulness. Mary could have focused on her situation, but she's focusing on a promise, a foreshadowed world a blessing that would be on the other side of turmoil. She wasn't focused on the, the moment. She, was, she had a long view, and it brought her to an attitude of thankfulness. The fourth thing that I see here in looking at Mary's story is that we see Mary trusting the Lord. So we have her setting an example of knowing Scripture, putting it in her heart, the words of God in her life, we have a, 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 an example of her being humble. Like she could have walked around like, yeah, this is the Messiah. <laughs> we could have, she could have walked around thinking, yeah, God chose me over you. God's blessed me. Like I talk all the time about the fact that a lot of the people that we celebrate in the world, especially in athletics, do very little to be who they are. Like, it's genetics. Like, their parents came together and produced a six foot nine, 245 pound athlete. So, therefore, they sign a $700 million contract, right? That they can defer so that they can stick it to California, right? And so, all of this stuff that happens in many of our stories is totally genetic. But there are times when God steps in and just says, I've got something incredibly special I want you to do, and the world will know your name like a Mother Teresa. No one would say that she was blessed with great genetics, 
but she was gifted through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to be with sick people and give them dignity and change the way the world looks at people that would have ignored Mary's song, but brings it front and center to say we really should live our lives this way. Many of us in here right now need to understand that God has something he wants each and every one of us to do in his story that has a redemptive way about which the world should change. And it's not just about what's happening for us, but we need to trust that what the Lord is doing, he's doing it. And even though we might not be able to see it, he's trustworthy. He's proven that. You can see that in the way that in verses 54 and 55, she speaks about the Abrahamic covenant that God had made with Israel. She trusts that God will keep his promises. She's trusting that God will keep his promises. So even through the hard times, I believe when Mary was even on the 33rd year of Jesus's life, I believe that Mary was still having to trust the Lord, was still having to trust God saying what I'm seeing with my own eyes doesn't seem like the promise that Gabriel gave to me, but I'm trusting because Mary was a part of the 120 in Acts 1 that was waiting for the Spirit of God to fall. She's mentioned specifically as one of the ones that was waiting to begin to walk out the story that Bryant challenged us with as we were leading up into generosity. Mary went all in in her trust for God through everything that she experienced. I can only imagine what could happen for us as a church if we are trusting that God is who he is. Not who the world says he is, but who he actually is. The God of love, God of mercy, the God that loved us so much that he created us in his image, but gave us this ability for choice. And how many choices are we making that are harming each other, but yet we're blaming God for them? I believe Mary's life meditated on during the Advent season can lead us to joy through our circumstances because Mary never took her eyes off of the one that was speaking to her. It never became about her. It became about the one God that she was giving her life to when she says, let that be me. Let it be me. And so today, I don't know all of you, some of you are new to me, but I just want to ask, have you ever said to God, let it be me? Have you ever made it your prayer? Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Have you ever had a moment where you were just realizing that by yourself you're sinful? And that unless he performs a miracle in us, we are going to continue to perpetuate sinfulness and not bring the fruits of God's spirit into the world around us? Mary had a heart of saying, I believe in the Lord my Savior. How many of us in here today need to make that our prayer? I'm going to invite our worship team up right now. And I want to encourage us as we get ready to close in a time of song. And as we come to the Lord's table, that you and I allow Mary to be a great example for us. That we bring her words back. Guys, listen, there are two long narrated passages of the Bible. Mary's song being one of them and the Sermon on the Mount I promise you, if you listen to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and you listen to Mary's words about the joy in God through the birth of Jesus Christ, you will be fine. If you have never spent any time in Mary's song and you've never spent any time in the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to encourage you between now and the new year, eat. 
Take some time. Light a candle. Read them repetitively. Because I believe that Jesus and Mary set a verbal outline of how you and I can maintain joy in a world that's dark. In a world that's going to challenge us. So, Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that if there's somebody in the room that has never placed their trust in you, that today would be that day that they would. They would just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Let it be me. And Father, for the rest of us that have had faith in you and has been challenged, Father, we come to the Lord's table right now. Father, we come because your body was broken and your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And that we are grateful and we say, thank you, Father. Thank you for the gift of Christ. But Father, we also know that if we're holding things in common, that the way Jesus lived is the way that I should live. And so I shouldn't just receive from you. I should be ready to give and receive in the same type of relationship with others. And so, Father, right now as we come to the table, we need to be reminded that I, too, am a part of God's redeeming story. I, too, am in a place, whether I have much or I have little, of being a part of this restorative work in the world. And at the Lord's table, Father, we come together in equality saying this was his body that was broken for you. And this was his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, we also need to hear that. So, Father, I pray that now as we come to the table, you would anoint and bless this moment. That you would not just increase hospitality amongst us, but you would help us to focus on what is true and noble and just and to think on those things. And we thank you so much for Mary's example. Father, forgive us for holding her out of the story so long. Father, may we continue to allow her to be blessed and therefore we can receive a blessing from her. So Lord, we thank you for, re- for preserving her story and her song for us. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching, and may God's grace and peace be with you.